Welcome back to What is Judaism? We're starting a brand new section today. The first chapter over here is something pretty fundamental. We're going to describe what the soul is and how it functions. Sounds good. So let's jump right into it. Number one, regarding the soul and its functions. We explained back in section one, chapter three, Inyan Ha'adam, the concept of a human being. There's something that a human possesses in its core nature that's different from any other entity. The fact that there's a fusion, a connection between two entities. Two different essences that are very far apart from each other. In fact, opposites on the spectrum of reality. One is the body, the goof, and the neshama, the body and the soul. Now, first of all, a person, a human being, has what we call a nefesh. This is an element of a soul. We do refer to it as an element of the soul, but if you'll recall, we actually mentioned way back toward the beginning of the book that the nefesh itself has functions that are really somewhat physical. Mm-hmm. It's like the spark of life. It's vitality. Yes. It's the essence of vitality. And this is something that even animals have. It's what's responsible for the emotions and the intellect. It's embedded in the nature of each living thing. The idea of the nefesh in all animals is that it's a a most ethereal entity. It's very the word he uses here is thin. It's a very thin existence, meaning almost non-physical. It's drawn forth from the realm of spirituality into the physical world, into the seed of whatever this creature will be after fertilization, conception. And that nefesh spreads and grows and strengthens and builds the body according to whichever species that it's going to build, according to the map of the DNA. Does this apply to plants as well? It would seem that the answer is no, even though plants are alive, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it seems like they don't have a nefesh. First of all, because he uses the word balechaim, which means living things, but it's almost always reserved for animals, things that move around Mm -hmm. and breathe. And specifically because even the Torah says that the nefesh circulates together with the blood. It's in the blood. And so it seems that the nefesh is a quality that's relegated to animal life. Hmm. Okay. And also this nefesh will continue to grow together with the growth of the animal or person. And that is what the emotions, the personality, and the intellect of whatever species is growing, it all is dependent on the makeup of the nefesh, which is building that body. Because even within the animal kingdom, we have great differences. There's a tremendous disparity in the level of intelligence from one species to the next. 
Vahaskalas bene Adam nivdelas mehaskalas kulam hevdelgadol. And of course, the intelligence of the human is vastly different than the intelligence of any other animal. Vuulam now kolze nasa ben nefesh azais. All of this occurs in the nefesh, kafi huka hativi, according to its established nature. And also, not just the nefesh itself, but also its properties can be determined in the preparation of how that nefesh came into the world, meaning the parents and the, all the circumstances regarding its entrance into the world, like we spoke about last time, as well like mazel. Those are all effects. Well, I know we had previously talked about uh, the neshama being... I, I hesitate to say it's genetic, but we did say that it's passed down genetically. Uh, but this is this is different. This seems to be saying specifically it's the nefesh that's passed down. Correct. Genetically. Earlier, we, we've been using the words nefesh and neshama pretty interchangeably. And we'll find also in this chapter, he, he does that on occasion too. So this term nefesh, neshama, they both mean soul we're going to see that there are very specific definitions to each of those, but generally speaking, whenever we hear, and this is important to know in your future studies of Judaism, whenever you see either of these words, nefesh or neshama, it could be a reference to the entirety of the soul or maybe that one specific element called mm-hmm. neshama or nefesh. So it's a bit misleading and it can be confusing at times. But yes, you're correct. The, the element that has unique personality that's inherited in this world is the nefesh. Okay. Vehine, benefesh ha'adam yibachnu bechinus mekaiches. Now, within the nefesh of a person, there are many different elements, different abilities that are contained within the nefesh. Kagoin hadimyon, vahazikara. Now, dimyon means the ability to imagine things, which is really a fascinating idea. It's the ability of the mind to conjure up an artificial reality that you experience without any input mm. through the body. And it, it's a fascinating ability of the mind. So that's one ability that's given to you by the nefesh. It's rooted there. The hazikaron and memory as well, the ability to recall past events and relive them in your own mind. The hasechel, intelligence, the harotzin, and the strength of willpower. All of these are properties of the nefesh. Kulam kachas ben nefesh. Mugbalim bigvalim yaduim. And they're all well-defined within the nefesh. So it would be wrong to think that the nefesh is just this sort of abstract ball of spirituality or life essence that sort of contains all this information. It's very complex and very intricate, and it has, just like the body, has functions and uh, specific elements of the body like organs that perform specific tasks that are different from one to the next. The nefesh also in its makeup has these different parts of it as well, and they're all clearly defined within the nefesh. Number two. Amnam milvat koze. Now, aside from all that, nimtza oid ba'odam metzius nafshi nivdal ve'elyon ma'oid. Now, here's where it's going to get a little bit complicated because now we're discussing there are many different aspects of the nefesh of the soul itself. And here, what we just mentioned, that he uses the words nefesh and neshama interchangeably. We're going to find that here, but we'll sort it all out. Now he says there's another kind of nefesh that's 
extraordinarily elevated up in the heavens. And its goal is never to enter into the body itself. The goal of this element of the soul, this nefesh, is to connect the human being to the higher realms, to be able to affect all elements of reality up in the heavens. To connect them, in order to accomplish the goal of humanity, as we've mentioned earlier, which is for our actions down here to be able to affect the higher realms. So there needs to be an interface on both sides. There's the nefesh here that interacts with the body so that the actions can transmit into the nefesh. And that nefesh must be connected to a higher level nefesh, which exists in the higher realms and can interface with the spiritual realm up there. I had never thought about that. That's... That's fascinating. This right. this part is not so. This is not within your body. Correct. It has no direct connection to your body. And it's this entity, that higher level of the nefesh, that draws forth energy and influence from the higher realms, from their sources into a human being. Higher elements of divinity. So it goes from those higher realms into that higher level nefesh, from that higher level nefesh through its connections to the lower level nefesh, and from that lower level nefesh affects the body because it circulates and interacts with the body. The function of the higher level nefesh, the higher soul, is to guide the lower one. And it operates and has functions that whatever's necessary for the nefesh of the human being to operate down here, that comes from the higher realms. And that's in accordance with the degree to which a person is connected to his higher nefesh. As we'll see, there, there can be stronger or weaker connections to the different elements of your soul. And is that an inherent thing in a person, or is that due to his actions? It could be both. Yeah, but we'll get there. So that higher level nefesh is connected to the lower one. And that lower nefesh that's responsible, like we said, for your personality, your intelligence, that is connected to an even lower level element. And that's what really exists in, so to speak, the blood. So now it comes out that the body and these two souls, he calls them now neshamos, these two neshamas are all connected as one entity. So we already see that he's using these terms nefesh and neshama interchangeably, but we'll get to the exact definitions a little bit later. But this is the general picture. We have the body, which is totally physical, 100% physical. That interfaces with a lower-level nefesh, which has the ability to interact with the body. That lower-level nefesh has an ability to be connected to a higher-level nefesh, which parallels it, but exists not within physicality at all, but up in the higher realms. And with this big system that exists is the complete human being. So this lower-level nefesh that is connected to the blood, is that literal? And if so... 
are, are there any concerns, you know, if somebody, God forbid, had an accident, needed a blood transfusion or something? This might be a stupid question as I'm looking at it too literally, but... No, you're, you're absolutely correct. It is literal. In fact, the Torah says that we don't eat the blood of animals because the nephesh is in the blood. We don't consume the nephesh of animals. We don't consume blood. It really literally is in the blood. And there are ramifications to this. If you can, if someone would die, God forbid, they need burial. And not only they need burial, but their blood should be buried as well. So, yes, it, it is literal that the blood contains some element of at least a conduit to the nephesh. Hmm. Number three. Now, here's where it gets practical for us to know this. Because of all this connection, that as a result of the higher level nefesh, which we will ultimately call the neshama, this totally spiritual entity, which is connected to the lower level nefesh, which is connected to the body, now it turns out that this neshama, the higher level neshama, which has unimaginable powers and abilities, is now, because it's tied to the body, because it's all connected, it's now locked in and limited to whatever the body is capable of. Mm-hmm. It's now been prevented from interacting with other spiritual entities that it would otherwise be able to do because it's limited by the functions of the body, which it is now connected to. In one of the earlier chapters, I think he defined the the soul as being light and the body as being opaque. So it sounds like this is directly related to that. Sure, yeah. We did speak about the fact that in this world, in this time period, the, the nefesh is severely inhibited, the neshama is severely inhibited. And this is the reason, because it's connected to the body and the body is, is like we said, very opaque. So the, all of this is kozman hayoisim iskasheres im haguf. This is as long as the neshama is connected to the body. Meaning during the lifetime of a person. And it's affected by the actions of the body. So it stands to reason if the neshama is locked in by the functions of the body, then through the actions of the body, if a person will engage in activities with the body, that are aligned with Hashem, that are aligned with revealing the light of the Creator, it can unlock abilities of the neshama. Or the opposite, the body can engage in, so to speak, opaque activities, things that are acts of concealment, that are distant from Hashem, and that will therefore lock the abilities of the neshama further. And that is what the ultimate perfection of a person is dependent on. Either his closeness to Hashem in the next world or his distance from Hashem in the next world will be dependent on the ability of the body to clear the path for the soul. Now, in so much as a person does align himself with his neshama, there's a bilateral track that the body can affect the abilities of the soul, and that will allow the soul to affect the body. Then the neshama will be able to affect the person. And the neshama will be able to affect and guide 
the nefesh that's connected to the body. And it's able to provide knowledge and divine wisdom to the person who's living here in this world. And it can generate holy thoughts and stronger willpower for good. So what we see here, you know, there's, there's a saying from our sages, mitzvah goyreras mitzvah, that a mitzvah will cause, will generate. Begets. Begets another mitzvah. Yeah. It could be understood simply that when you build habits, you create momentum. You start doing good things. You're going to keep doing good things. You're on a good path. So it could be understood simply like that. But here we see a, a much deeper understanding of that. When a person does a mitzvah with his body, what he's doing now is cleansing the body and elevating it to make it more aligned with spirituality. So that then, since the neshama's ability to affect anything else is dependent on how much it's being prevented or locked down or freed by the body, when the body frees up the neshama, then the neshama has a greater ability to therefore go back and affect the body. Mm. It's a positive feedback loop. Exactly. Right. So when a person does a mitzvah, they will become holier. They will become more aligned with their neshama and they will naturally think holier things and be more aligned with spirituality. Thank God it works in that direction because I think... A lot of people have experienced it working in the other direction as well, where when you when you don't do the things you know you should be doing, uh, that becomes kind of a feedback loop and you feel like you, you can't reconnect. So it's good that it at least works in the other direction too. Right, and it is true, and it makes sense why it should be like that as well. Right, The more you lock down the neshama, then the less of an effect it can have on the body and the less sensitive a person will be to their spiritual nature. Right. Number four. Now, even though in general, we refer to the soul as, in the singular, the soul, mm. or the nefesh, or the neshama. But the truth is that it's really a multifaceted entity. There are many different elements of the soul. And we could even say, that a person has many souls. And they're all connected to each other, like rings in a chain. So just like all of these links create one chain, which is appropriate to make that chain. So too, all of these links in the chain compose the neshama that we've been mentioning. So it's really a bunch of different facets of spiritual entity that a human being has that when you look at the entire thing all put together it would be called the neshama. Okay, I have a question on that because it kind of, it seems to beg the question, if the nefesh is, is the one that exists within our body, it's connected to the blood, it's the most physical one, and then the neshama is the one that connects us to the spiritual realm, what are the other three doing? What do you mean other three? Uh, well, I've heard that I, I'm aware of the concept that there are five of these. 
uh, just heard it kind of in passing, but I don't know. Okay, so let's hold off on that for just a second because we haven't quite gotten there in this book yet. Okay. For right now, all we need to know is that there are many different elements of the soul that exist on varying degrees of reality of all these realms. And it needs to be like that because all of these, rel all these realms of reality can be affected and edited. And the human being is built in a way that we are able to affect everything. And so therefore, we have to be able to exist on every level as well. Your identity exists on every single level of reality because of the structure of how the neshama is created. Hmm. And the last link in the chain, like you just mentioned, is the nefesh, the lower level nefesh. And that last one is in the blood, like we've explained. It's possible that one of these links in the chain could be removed or severed. But it could be repaired. It could come back later. Now, I see you, you made an expression of surprise and fear. And that should be the expression. <laughs> it, it sounds scary. The Nefesh Chaim, written by Rav Chaim Velazhenor, student of the Vilna Gon, a great Kabbalist, he writes that this is what kares really means. Kares is referred to several times in the Torah. A person will be cut off from his people person, let's say, eats on Yom Kippur mm. or eats chametz on Pesach. There are many different things in the Torah that says if you do this action, it will cut you off from your people. And the Nefesh Chaim he explains that what's really happening is that that act will sever the connection in the chain of your soul. And you will be disconnected from the true source of your divine origins. And a person who is living in a state of kares is really just living an animal life. And it's, it is quite scary. But the good news is that it can all be repaired through tshuva. Thank God. So he says it could be severed, it could be gone, and it could come back. Or certain levels of the soul could be added. And they can go, and then they can go away afterwards. And all of these things could be happening behind the scenes, and there won't be any indication of that in the body at all. Because all of these things are happening in a way that they're not directly interacting with physicality. And therefore, since our perception of reality is completely relegated to the physical realm, we won't be noticing any of these things. We won't feel any difference. It's not going to cause any increase or decrease in a person's feelings or emotions. These effects are taking place in the intrinsic essence of the human being on a fundamental level, but not in a way that we can feel or experience it. This raises a question then, because I think we've experienced times where, where you do feel more connected to your soul and to spirituality in general. Is that, I don't even know how to describe it. It sounds like he's saying that that's not, in fact, what's occurring. It's not a, a deeper connection with your, with your soul. It may be something else. So that, that's, let's back up. That feeling of being connected to spirituality, that can be an effect that's occurring in the nefesh. And that is something that you do experience. Like we said before in, in a previous chapter, 
that Hashem has an influence over not just the body, but Hashem can influence the nefesh as well. And it could be that a, a person's experience of closeness to Hashem can be experienced directly in the nefesh. So a person is connected to their nefesh because that is responsible for their emotional state. And that can be affected if it's connected to the higher levels of its soul. It very much is affected. What we're talking about is there. it's possible that there are effects that are happening beyond the scenes that don't come down to the nefesh. If there's mm. some sort of severed connection up there, it was severed before and now it's repaired, that's not necessarily going to reverberate down into the nefesh and then have any sort of feeling in the body. I see. Yeah, that makes sense because it's definitely not any any feelings that, I mean, I obviously I have trouble articulating what it is to begin with. So it's not anything that we could define clearly and say, oh, this is what's happening with, with my neshama right now. Right. And also we'll see that there are minor exceptions to this. Uh, he'll mention one of them, but we've, we already brought up the Nefesh Chaim today. The Nefesh Chaim says that at a moment that someone is engaged in a mitzvah, he is literally in the Garden of Eden at that moment. He is in Gan Eden. And he says if, if a person is very sensitive and they're able to focus, then they could actually feel it. He says the opposite is true as well. If a person is in the middle of doing a sin, then they are right now in Gehenna. And they could feel that as well, maybe. But these are all exceptions. A person would have to be extraordinarily sensitive to that. And it would be practically impossible for most people on our level to differentiate between, you know, what are we conjuring up with our own imagination and, you know, the, the psychological effect of wanting to feel something as opposed to what's really happening. Mm. So it theoretically is possible, but not something to be relied on. So he's saying these effects up in the soul, up in these higher levels of the soul, don't have any effect in the body directly. They're all related to the supernal sources of our being. That we're supposed to be connected to. There's a concept maybe our listeners are familiar with, maybe not. On Shabbos, on the Sabbath day, there is extra soul, our sages tell us, that comes into a person. A person is granted an extra ability of soul. And what the nature of that is exactly is, is a fascinating topic. It's not for now, but his point is that it comes at the onset of Shabbos. It leaves after Shabbos. And it's coming and it's leaving are not felt by the body. You wouldn't notice it physically the entrance and the exit of the Nisham Yaseiro. And now he ends off without any sort of explanation at all. He ends off by saying, and there are five general distinctions of the soul, and they are called the Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. Those are the five. He does not explain which one is which and what they do. Okay. I won't ask any more questions about the other three. <laughs> well, we can give a general overview. The nefesh is what we've explained. The nefesh is the vitality, and that's mm -hmm. what interacts with the body. Number three, the neshama is that entity that is your inherent identity. And that is the spiritual entity that exists in the higher realm, which interacts with other spiritual entities. 
In between the nefesh and the neshama is ruach, translated as spirit sometimes. Oh, that's what was blown into the nose of Adam. No, the neshama. Oh, really? The neshama was blown in, right? But the ruach is spirit, could be breath, right? Which, which is what maybe you're thinking of. Yeah. The ruach is what connects the nefesh and the neshama. But as he's already explained, we see that it's really not that simple because he says there's all these different levels. And there's all these links in the chain. So these terms that we're giving are, are generalized terms. And we have to understand that there's not one thing called the ruach or maybe even one thing called neshama. But it's really a collection of spiritual elements that make up the grand entity of the soul. These are just five identifiable uh, main aspects that have very clear functions. The nefesh operates with the body, the soul operates with spirituality, and the ruach connects the two. And chaya and yichida are very often not even spoken about. Chaya is the root of a person's identity. It's even beyond their conscious identity, but it's the root of their soul. And yichida is what everyone shares among the Jewish nation, is the grand root soul of the entire Jewish people, also known as Knesset Yisrael, also known as the Shechina. Number five. Now here's where he's going to mention that exception that we just talked about, that in general, a person can't experience what's happening to his neshama on the higher levels because there's no direct connection to the body from that, from that place. There are certain cases where a person can get some remnant of a feeling from that. So we'll see. There are certain cases where the neshama, that higher level of the nefesh, will have experiences under very specific circumstances. And even though it's connected to the body, like we explained, it still does have some relationship with other spiritual entities, despite it being locked down. Things that the body can't inhibit it from experiencing. Now, it also stands to reason that since the body doesn't prevent the neshama from experiencing those things, the body also has no way of processing those things directly. And that should make sense, right? Because there, there's no connection to it. And so therefore, it's not transmitted directly to the body. But sometimes there can be a, a tremor that it does experience. So it doesn't have a direct interface with these things, but it could get some effect from the neshama. And that's what our sages said, even though he didn't see it, his mazel saw it, hmm. which means that, that, well, this is in reference to there are certain times where a person might experience fear for no reason or a sense of urgency, and it doesn't have really any connection to anything that you're experiencing now. Right, yeah. And the Gemara says that what's happening here is that even though you have no way of processing it directly with your intelligence or with any of your senses, your neshama is experiencing something in the higher realms. There could be a sense of danger. Something is going to happen. And there's no way for you to actually process that. 
but you do still feel something. Hmm. There's some effect, some experience. Something is happening to the neshama up there. But it doesn't get to the, to the intellect or to the thoughts in a perfect picture. Some element of inspiration, but nothing more than that. Well, so what are you supposed to do with it? If you're feeling some, some sense of, let's say, anxiety or something similar, and it, if it's coming from your from your neshama and you can't place why you're feeling this or what do you what do you do with that? It seems like it's information that you could be using if you knew how to. You should move. Move like pack your bags. No, you should move your body. You should get up and move. Move at least six feet away. Hmm. If now, don't go crazy with this. So okay. if you start to feel like a, a little like a little bit of uneasiness, that's not necessarily what this means. If out of nowhere, for no reason whatsoever, you start feeling panic, and, it, and it's very disconcerting, and you don't know why. So the Gemara actually says there are certain reasons why this might be happening. Um, we won't go into all these reasons now because it's it's not the time for it. No, I don't I don't have anxiety or panic, so if I do, I want to know exactly what I should do. <laughs> right. So in general, without getting into it, uh, if you're if you randomly experience this kind of panic, then it would be best to just move, to get up and move at least six feet away. Okay. Number six. The ulam Hashem saw fit to divide time here on this planet into two sections. One is for activity of creation, and the other is for its rest. That's daytime and nighttime. Day is the time of action, and night is the time of rest. And Hashem placed into the nature of animals that they should sleep. That they, the animal, the person, and their spirit should have rest from all of their efforts. And during that time, their energy is restored. The truth is that it's more than just restored. He uses the word in Hebrew, yachalif, which means to exchange. And we, we can imagine this in when you put flowers into water. The water is going to be the source of energy for those flowers, in addition to sunlight. And so it's going to absorb some of that water. It's going to use it. But it's also going to dirty the water to a certain degree. And so after time, it would be helpful to just add water to the vase to give more energy to the to the flowers. But it's even more helpful mm. if you would exchange the water. Replace that dirty water with clean water. Yeah, that and makes sense. So that's what's happening here. When a person sleeps, all of their faculties, their abilities and powers that come from their nefesh are not only replenished, but they're replaced. And a person wakes up fresh, ideally. And that applies to the body and applies to the soul as well. And it comes in the morning, a person, to the extent where now that a person's faculties are replaced and not just filled up, but they become, so to speak, a new entity. 
and this is why we wash our hands in the morning. It's one of the reasons we wash our hands in the morning to inaugurate ourselves as a new creation. When a person's sleeping, his powers are resting, are at rest, and his feelings have been dimmed. All of his senses are now on hold. And his intelligence has also dimmed to a great degree. And it's only his capacity for imagination that continues operating. So what this means is the obviously the brain is working, right? The intellect is working to some degree because you are experiencing things, but your ability to process reality has been greatly decreased, mm. which is why you don't think it's so strange when you're experiencing <laughs> all kinds of crazy realities in your dreams and it doesn't set off any alarms for you, like this is totally normal. <laughs> you're not processing anything really with your intellect. That ability has been detained and your ability for imagination is just running. And your capacity for imagination is operating based on, in a very passive way, based on things that it has received throughout the day, generally. It's running on the remnants of whatever's been left over from your waking hours. And what comes from the vapors and the smoke of the world to a hmm. person's brain. I I don't I confess I don't know what this means. Whether it comes from natural perspiration of the world or from food that a person has eaten. Now again, I, I don't know what this means. What he his tradition for what affects a person's dreams in this way. I've heard that if you eat pickles before you go to sleep, you'll have weird dreams, but Right, so the Ramchal doesn't say that here. <laughs> but it could be. That, that may be what he's talking about. This is what dreams are. This is how people have dreams, in general. Now, that being the case, Hashem did instill a, another element of reality into the concept of a dream. The neshama, the higher nefesh, as we mentioned earlier, it has temporarily disconnected from its connections to the body. And other elements of the soul have also disconnected, including the ruach. They have elevated and disconnected from the body. And it's only that lower level of the soul, the nefesh, which stays, the animal soul, which stays together with the body. Now these other elements of the soul are now free to float around in whatever's been available to them. And they can interact with other spiritual entities. So the neshama can interact with spiritual entities that are involved in, in the nature of the world. It can interact with higher level angels. Do these get distilled down into your dreams, these interactions? Let's, let's see. 
And the neshama can also interact with shadim, as we mentioned earlier in the book. And again, this is all quite passive. It's whatever happens to the neshama in its journeys beyond the body during sleep. Sometimes, this is your question, sometimes it is drawn forth. Interactions and experiences that Neshama has can be drawn down that chain to the Nefesh when it's still connected. And it inspires the capacity of the of imagination, like we just were explaining which is what's happening when you're dreaming. That's the only thing that's active. And so therefore, any experience that the neshama has, which might be transmitting down the chain through to the nefesh, is going to have to be translated somehow into the dream. And that's your experience that you're having at that point. And you're going to imagine things based on you. So if a person, if their soul is experiencing something, there is no translation to that in the physical world. And therefore, it's up to the mind, it's up to each individual's capacity for imagination to be able to represent these abstract experiences that the soul is having into some sort of physical representation that would show up in your dream. So if your soul is interacting with Shadim while you sleep, that I mean, that seems like it might be distressing, like kind of nightmare-inducing kind of thing. So you would, you would then have a bad dream as a result of the distress your neshama is experiencing. First of all, it might not necessarily be a bad experience to interact with shadim. Uh, could be, could be not. And second of all, it's not just maybe the sense of distress, but the the experience itself might be transmitted meaning not just the sense of fear or distress or being upset from having a negative experience, but the experience that is taking place might be represented in your dream. Mm, okay, and so we only have our physical reality to represent that. So right. that's why it's going to it's going to show up differently in our dream. Yes, and it's going to sh- it would show up differently for each individual because it's up to the individual and their own personality and their own ability for imagination to be able to represent these abstract experiences as a dream, as pictures or I see sounds or anything. Now, it could be that these experiences that a person is, is having during their dream, it could be it's true or it could be it's all made up. And it's all according to the method or the mean that it's being transmitted in. And that is what could be transmitted into the faculty of imagination. And that could then generate a, a really confusing set of imagery or a lot of distortion. So either it's true or it could be that there's there's a distortion in the medium that's causing all this confusing imagery in a person's dream. And these are these pictures that are being printed in a person's mind that are being drawn forth again from, he says, these vapors of the world, which, again, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. 
and sometimes it could be it could be very clear. And it's possible for a person to gain a tremendous amount of insight and understanding based on what's being transmitted through this dream. It could be it's very clear. It could be a person could have a quote-unquote prophetic dream. Well, this sounds difficult because we've just said that what comes from the dream could be either true or false. Correct. So a person might not know with clarity if it's true or not, but it is possible for a person to experience something that's going to happen to him in the future, usually something very close in the near future, uh, something that's imminent because the Neshama is experiencing it. Again, in the higher realms, in these sources where things first originate and then come down into the physical world. So a person could become aware of these things. True, a person might not know with clarity how true it is. And we'll see that it gets even more complicated than that. And it could be because Hashem has decreed that a person needs to know this thing from his neshama. He could send an angel to communicate something to the neshama, then communicates it to the body. Now, it's important to realize that this, of course, this has to happen while a person is sleeping. Because while a person's awake, the neshama is fully connected and engaged with the whole system that's tied down to the body and therefore is limited in its ability to have these interactions with right. other spiritual entities. You're consciously very physical. Yes. And so therefore, when a person's asleep, then the neshama is capable of receiving messages from outside of that connection because it's become disconnected from the body. And so it's at that moment where there's a very weak connection, it's able to stray a little bit and receive these communications. And it could be that Hashem wants to inform a person of something in the spiritual realm. They will become informed through their dream, meaning the neshama gets its information. It gets transmitted in a very weak way to the nefesh, which is in the body, which is still generating that dimyon, that faculty of imagination called the dream. Right, so that's what he continues. So this draws down to the nefesh, and it gets printed in the imagination, either in a concealed way or sometimes in a very clear way, all according to what Hashem has decreed that this person should experience. Like it says in the book of Eov, in a dream, in a vision of the night, God opens the ears of man. So therefore, the concept of a dream is its generated imagery coming from the faculty of imagination, which is either coming from its own production, things that it's experienced throughout the day, and therefore it's meaningless, essentially. Maybe it could give you some insight into what you've been thinking about. Or it could be a real communication from the spiritual realm. But this action is really only one of the spiritual things that could be happening, meaning this communication. The neshama could be doing many other things up there. This is just one function that it could have to transmit information. 
Now, the neshama could be transmitting information from other forces, meaning not from a divine angel from Hashem, but from forces of impurity, which could then generate total falsehood. And this is what our sages have told us, This dream came from an angel, and this dream came from a shade. And so, not reliable which one is which. And in both cases, whether it's from the shade, in which case all of the information is false, or if it's from a malach, an angel from Hashem, in which case it's true, in both cases, there's also going to be a certain amount of pure imagination that's in the mix, that's just conjured up from a person's own brain and their own imagery. So it's not it's not an unadulterated. In no case is it going to be an unadulterated, uh, perfect message correct. from Hashem. Correct. And that's what our sages said. It's impossible to have a dream that doesn't have elements in it that are irrelevant. However, there are different kinds of dreams. There's another category. And these are true prophetic dreams. We'll have to explain that at a separate time. So everything we've been explaining up until now, even these dreams where a person is getting information about what will happen to them. Earlier I said, quote unquote, prophetic dreams. Mm. I only said that because it sounds prophetic because he's getting information about the future. But that's not true prophecy. And we'll have to understand what true prophecy is in a later chapter. But for now, that concludes chapter one of section three. We'll see you next time. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Rabbi.